Acho isso que eu vou Atenção, Éder ali, muito forte na luta, ainda a segurar Super. Éder. A fazer o um rebote, corre! That, my friends, is the sweetest music to Portuguese ears and the ears of fans of Portuguese national team. The moment when Eder scored the goal that won the Seleção, the 2016 European Championship. Welcome to a special Euro 2016 celebratory Portugal podcast. Ronaldo, vai partir para a bola, Ronaldo. Ronaldo vai partir. Paradinha. Atirou o gol. Justa. Justa. Over the next hour or so, we'll be discussing all aspects of Portugal's historic win. To help me do so, I'm joined by a three-man panel today. First up, the man who spent much of last month travelling around France with me, covering Portugal's progress at the tournament, Nathan Motes. Hi, Nathan. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing great, Tom. It's good to, good to be with you guys. Uh, obviously, miss, miss being in France, but uh, glad we get to talk about the Celestial again. Yeah. Yeah, certainly plenty to talk about. Uh, we also have another of Portugal's Seleção experts, Simon de Souza. Simon, isn't it good to be alive, amigo? Uh, it's great to be alive, Tom. I, I have not stopped smiling since last Sunday still. <laughs> I can't believe it. And completing today's panel, we have our resident Portuguese coach, journalist and football expert, Tiago Estevão. Uh, Tiago, I'd just like to ask you, as the only only one of the four of us who was born and bred and lived your whole life in Portugal, what was it actually that you felt when that full-time whistle went in Paris last Sunday? Hey guys, it's it was just a really proud feeling, a really proud feeling. It was it was not too expansive for me. I didn't scream, I didn't run around yet too much. Well, I did afterwards, but it was very. <laughs> Very proud and very sentimental, you know, very very art, heartfelt, and I think a lot of people felt like that. It's yeah. something that's been a long time coming, and it finally happened. So we got our revenge from 2004. I'm happy. Yeah, I'm I'm done. I can believe that definitely. Okay, so where to start? Why not remember our pre-tournament pod, uh, Nathan? I remember asking you the question about Fernando Santos in what seems an eternity ago when we recorded that podcast, looking ahead to the tournament, I mentioned that Santos was insisting on the message that it was possible Portugal could win this thing, which was quite an unusual approach for a Portugal manager. Uh, how much of a factor do you think his unbending confidence, even when the results weren't going so well in the group phase, how much of a, of a factor do you think that had in the victory? Yeah, I remember talking about this, and actually I wrote a piece on it as well. Uh, at least a little section in that piece was devoted to talking about some of the factors that uh, major tournament champions, in particular European champions, have in common. And um, some of the focus of that article was actually on the Greek national team in 2004 when Otto Rehagel was just saying some of these ridiculous things to his players, like, you know, we're, we're David and we're going to slay Goliath and all this really, you know, hyper-emotional kind of stuff um, that they ended up carrying that attitude, obviously, into the tournament and did something extraordinary. And in this tournament, I think Santos brought a very similar approach to Portugal, and I think it was effective for, for three main reasons. The first is because it emphasized, for the first time, I think, uh, at least in Portugal's history, just this idea of togetherness being superior to individual skill. Um, and this is just something that's that's kind of a it's a departure in philosophy uh, for Portugal as a football team, um, and that was effective. And the second thing was it established very clear and simple objectives. In particular, 
the mantra that Santos just reiterated at the beginning of the campaign and throughout was um, that he wanted the team to be very difficult to beat. He kept saying that same phrase over and over again, and that, I think, gave the players just kind of a simple idea about how they needed to approach each match, whether it lasted you know, 90 minutes uh, or went to, uh, to penalties. Um, and then finally, just the continual reinforcement of these core concepts. You know, he kept referring back to uh, the fact that he was making plans only to travel back to Portugal on July 11th, you know, just kind of reinforcing with the players. The plan hasn't changed. We're going home after the final. Um, he kept referring back to the, the pact or the agreement that he made with the players at the Stade de France when they lost 2-1 in that friendly. Um, and, I, and I think just continually bringing up these themes brought the team together um, just in a way we haven't seen a unifying message like that from a Portuguese manager um, and I, I think it meant everything yeah yep uh, beautiful also to remember that that match uh, against France at the Stade de France two years ago was actually his very first match in charge and uh, you're absolutely right he brought that up in a press conference before the final saying that he'd said at that time that uh, you know, let's come back here, let's come back here in the final to win it. And what do you know? That's exactly what happened. Simon, uh, Santos showed himself to be an absolutely fantastic leader throughout the campaign. Uh, that perhaps wasn't a huge surprise. Uh, he's very highly respected, of course. Uh, what probably was a surprise, especially to, to football watchers outside Portugal, was the superb job Captain Cristiano Ronaldo did as the undisputed leader of the squad among the players. Uh, I'm not talking here about his on-field displays, but his leadership and his motivational qualities really came to the fore. Uh, Would you agree, Simon? Definitely. I think, well, I think to start, us Portuguese already knew that. It's just how critics and media have maybe uh, changed the general public's perception of him to, you know, show uh, how they show, you know, focus on camera shots when he uh, when he gets mad at him, when he misses a shot and so on, so, or when he's, you know, shouts uh, something across the field to a player for a missed pass or a misdirected pass. So I think, I think the general uh, public may have a, a misconception about him, but I think us Portuguese really always knew that uh, he had great leadership qualities. Um, now with now with him having to sub off in the finals, um, he uh, he really did kind of take an assistant uh, manager position behind Santos, and he he truly showed uh, how much he cares about Portugal and he cares about a team, and he's not he's not just a me 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 Ronaldo 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 uh, attitude on him. Um, and as he ages now as well, uh, I think he's 31 now, so the uh, World Cup in Russia, he'll be 33. He's, he has to take on a new role, and he's gone from that from that outside outside wing player to you know he's playing now more in a nine role where there's less running required because he just he just can't physically do all the running anymore, uh, and especially now with you know his knee has always bugged him, and then now in the finals have forced him off so. Uh, he's a team player that he's gonna he's gonna change his role for the team. He's gonna probably turn into that poacher nine role and help out the younger players as well whenever he can. I think that people thinking he was just a selfish player playing out for himself uh, that this Euro 2016 completely blew that out of the water and proved that that's not true. Yeah, I think one of the uh, I suppose most lasting images I think I will have of uh, the tournament and especially the final was the moment that Eder scored <coughs> and uh, of course that just led to manic celebrations from all the fans but uh, Ronaldo just literally he just burst into tears you could just tell how much it meant to him and so that just backs up exactly what you said Simon you know some people think he's just in it for the personal glory but really that just showed you how much he really wanted Portugal to win this uh, now, <clears throat> when I spoke to João Moutinho immediately after the final, uh, I asked him what he felt the secret was to Portugal's success. He made a point of talking about the unity uh, among the squad. Qual é o segredo de, de, de Portugal ser campeão neste, neste torneio? Como disse, acho que a união, a união do grupo que mostramos dentro e fora do campo, mesmo em momentos que, que ninguém dava nada por nós, 
e conseguimos mostrar dentro de campo temos a nossa união, o nosso espírito de grupo enorme e, e fomos superiores, acho que estamos todos parabéns, tivemos mérito naquilo que conquistámos e agora acho que temos é que celebrar porque é uma grande conquista para nós e para Portugal. So, uh, for those of you who can't understand Portuguese, that was just Moutinho really emphasizing that for him, the, the number one uh, secret, the number one asset behind Portugal's victory was really the togetherness shown by the whole squad. Tiago, as a coach, you know better than any of us the importance of creating the spirit of togetherness in a group of players. I've got two questions to you, for you. Uh, first of all, how important was this in Portugal's victory, in your opinion. Uh, and secondly, can you ever remember such a united Portugal team? Yeah, that that was crucial. I think that was our win. It was nothing else. I remember us talking like we have a really talented squad. And months ago, like in I believe was it in January that Fernando Santos said that he would that he would win the trophy. The first time you said it in like around January, February, and we talked about like in podcasts we mentioned how talented our our squad was our squad was I mean we had Renato Sanchez, Romario, Adriano coming off great seasons, super talented team and we just well we didn't assume but we presumed that we could have a shot at the title but actually getting there and doing great things in the group stages and everyone viewing us as a contender for the knockout rounds. And when we got there, that wasn't necessarily what happened because we couldn't convert our chances. So the tournament, we ended up winning a tournament in a way that I didn't necessarily expect us to win. I expected us to face big teams and being able to, I wouldn't say dominate, but at least divide the game 50-50 with them. And that wasn't the case. We had to sit back and take in France's pressure, for example. But the way that Fernando Santos united the squad was what got us through so many knockout rounds. We, like... In our knockout rounds, we dominated the match against Wales. And then everything else was quite divided. Against Poland, we had to get to penalties. Against Croatia was the last-minute winner by Croatia. So, except for the Wales match, everything was a lot, of, a lot of heart, a lot of passion, a lot of wanting it more. And I'm not as faithful of a person as Fernando Santos is, and I'm not blaming it or thanking it to faith. But in the final, we, we just took in so much pressure. There were so many chances for France. We had one chance... I can remember one chance throughout our match, which was a, a misdirected cross by Nani that Yohi saved. And Rui Patricio made so many saves. Pep made so many tackles. We just wanted it more. It wasn't... We didn't dominate the match. We didn't. Some people will say we didn't deserve it. That's another... That's another subject, but we just wanted it more. And what Fernando Sancho did was unite the squad. When you when you see players like Nani and Ronaldo, two players that are incredibly talented, known for their tricks and skills up front, and are pressuring back lines and working a lot for the team, you just know that you have a united group, and everyone wanted it. And Ronaldo came back after the injury. It was just, it was movie like, you know. I don't I don't know how to explain it better than that, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think I agree with all of that. I'm just trying to have a little search here and I can't find it. Maybe you can help me out, Nathan, for that quote from the uh, France goalkeeper, Hugo Loris, who just basically said what Thiago said there, that, uh, you know, you've got to hand it to Portugal for just showing the amount of heart and commitment and will to win to get through three... Yeah. Uh, you know, three extra time matches that that just takes something special. Yeah, when you when that when we saw that shot from Gignac hit the post at the last minute, we knew we had it right. Like <laughs> we all knew that something was like in the stars for us that day because that that was the fifth or seventh or sixth or something chance for them to actually get the goal, the winning goal, and they didn't. The one that Kuipatris didn't save hit the post. It was I'm not. I'm not blaming it on faith, but it has, Fernando Santos has, has some sort of deal with, with a powerful entity. That's just <laughs> what I'm saying. Yeah, okay, I've just found that quote. It's actually, I apologise, it's actually Simon who, who put it on Twitter, and it says, uh, Loris said uh, immediately after the game, Portugal had amazing mental strength and spirit. Winning three times after extra time, it takes something special inside. 
And, uh, well, you know, I think that was definitely the case. Okay, Nathan, uh, I think it's time to smash a few of these ridiculous notions about how this was somehow a bit of a lucky or undeserved victory by Portugal that have been kicking around much of the media. Uh, let me make a list of some of the reasons, in quotation marks, given for <coughs> why Portugal supposedly didn't deserve this. Portugal only won one game in 90 minutes. Yeah, like extra time is something that you know isn't part of the game. Uh, Portugal had an easy route to the final. Okay, I'd like to invite anybody who thinks that to compare Portugal's routes and France's route to the final. Uh, very little difference, really. Uh, Portugal were boring to watch. Portugal finished third in their group. Ronaldo is the devil incarnate. Blah, 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 blah. Nathan, two questions. One, uh, why are these nations just so obviously wide of the mark? And number two, uh, but why do you think they're so relatively prevalent? Uh, any thoughts about that? Yeah, you know, I think we, I think we could devote an entire podcast just, just to, to trying to confront some of these negative feelings about Portugal's championship victory. And I would, I would like to say that this is something that happens after the end of every tournament. But maybe I'm just biased. But I, I think there's been, you know, really an unfair amount of scrutiny placed on Portugal for winning this tournament that I haven't seen for a long time. So the, I think the base or underlying reason why we have so many uh, these stick kinds of statements being made is because people are constructing their opinions on emotion, you know, on how they feel uh, rather than on facts. So it's, well, I don't have time to consider all of them, unfortunately, but I'll, I'll start with a few facts here that I think are essential for people to keep in mind. So, again, looking at Portugal's path to the final versus France, you know, France, France came from a group featuring Romania and Albania. Albania, first time ever. Uh, international tournament. Romania is certainly not a um, a nation that um, you would you would favor over a team like France. Um, you know they played Switzerland, uh, drew nil nil in that match. Didn't receive much criticism for that. They played Ireland. Uh, they played Iceland, which is a team from Portugal's group that that had a really great tournament and beat you know the mighty England. Um, and then and if you take Germany um, uh, in the semifinals kind of out of that run, I think I think definitely their path to the finals very much come to Portugal. So that that argument just doesn't seem to, to hold when when put under the scrutiny of, of and that. don't don't forget that they they had trouble with Ireland. You said that they played Ireland, but Absolutely. it wasn't it wasn't like an easy run. They were, they were losing in the first minute or so or five, first five minutes they were losing in a yeah. penalty by Pogba it was worth. Yeah. How many millions do you want? Cause. Absolutely, and, and the first half really of that match too. If you watched it, um, Ireland could have had more, yeah, um, yeah. and so it, it could have been different uh, that outcome. So, and then moving on to the the next argument, uh, Portugal only won one game in ninety minutes. Well, um, looking back at history, and this is a fact that I actually wrote about before the tournament: forty four percent of knockout round matches in the Euros go to extra time or penalties. That's over the last five Euros. So, so to suggest that somehow it's extraordinary uh, when Portugal go to extra time is actually not breaking um, conventional history. It's actually in keeping with that. And I think it's exactly what we'd expect when two good teams play each other. They often have difficulty beating each other. And I don't know why that's surprising for many people, but um, it, history shows that it's a, it's a quite common occurrence for extra time penalties to occur. Now, I'd like to spend some time talking about the word uh, deserve, uh, what it means, what it doesn't, and why we can't use it really to talk about Portugal or I think any team's uh, victory unless certain conditions are met. And those conditions for me are if there's a, a, a deliberate attempt made by a team to cheat or break the rules of the game or a, a critical refereeing decision that decides a game, then we can start talking about a uh, team's victory being undeserved. But this simply is not the case in this tournament. We have seen this happen in the past. You know, Diego Maradona and the Hand of God goal, for instance. Um, we've seen refereeing decisions deny Portugal uh, in the past, among a host of other teams. And in those cases, when teams lose or when they win, talking about uh, whether they deserved it or not is relevant. But in this case, it simply isn't. You cannot say, I don't like a team or how they played or that they won. And so they didn't deserve it. It's irrational, and it breaks the rules of human language, and we don't have the freedom to break those. 
Um, finally, the argument that Portugal finished third and would not uh, and would be out under a different format. This is the only statement I've seen that's that's actually true. Um, if the format were different, Portugal would not have qualified from their group. It is true, but unfortunately, it's irrelevant because the rules were different. And champions do what they have to do. We did that. Other teams couldn't. And that's the rules of the game. Um, and then finally, I, also, I think it's important to remember that many of these emotional reactions, and you'll remember this, uh, Tom, from our time in Lyon, many of the, many of the reactions we encounter about Portugal are connected to people's feelings about Ronaldo, especially after his comments about Iceland. And then also I would add uh, Pepe as well. Pepe has the kind of reputation that uh, many neutral fans find distasteful. Uh, you'll remember, Tom, we met with some UEFA employees yep. in, in Lyon having drinks, and I had a, a pretty involved argument or disagreement with some of them regarding the character of Pepe, and, and then by the end of that conversation, I actually felt like I was defending more the Portuguese national team than I was Pepe, and but the two were considered one and the same. The character of one covered over the character of the other, and so I, I think these individual players and the people, the feelings that people have about them um, kind of encourage people to look at this from a hero-villain perspective. And these are tactics that the press uses to generate more attention. We've certainly seen uh, some of these negative articles have, have collected over, I think, over like a thousand comments um, from fans. And then the unfortunate aspect um, of that reality is that these outlets don't really care what kind of press they're getting, just that they're that they're getting the attention and so that's a quick rundown. Um, I would like to go more, but I think that's that's where I'll I'll stop for today. <laughs> well, that's pretty uh, conclusive, I would say, Nathan. Just uh, the only thing I'd add to that was the the, the third place uh, argument, of course. <coughs> Portugal against Hungary, of course, that such a, a manic match. Probably, I'd say Portugal's uh, worst performance at the tournament. Really defended badly at, uh, in that game. But we have to remember that with about 20 minutes to go in that game, the score was 3-3. And at that point, both sides knew that if that's the way it ended, both sides would be going through to the next round. So there was a kind of pact of non-aggression for the last 20 minutes. Now, if the rules had been different, and if it was uh, you know, only the top two which went through... Uh, you know, I'm not saying it's certain, nobody can say that for certain, but I think Portugal, who were actually on top in, at that point, you know, would have obviously had a very different approach to the last 20 minutes of the game. And who knows, they may have even won that game, which would have put them top of the group. So uh, even that uh, argument, which like you said, Nathan, is the only factual correct argument to say Portugal finished third and in another format they wouldn't have gone through. Uh, but even that, you know, I think can be debated. Okay, uh, I think now it's time for a little musical interlude. is, of course, what became the unofficial anthem of Portugal fans, Aminha Casinha by Schutz e Pontepes. Uh, now, to be honest, Nathan, uh, Nathan and I were a little disappointed with the vocal support from Portugal's fans during the group phase. 
but that all changed during the knockouts with superb backing at the subsequent Portugal games in all of the knockout uh, matches. Uh, Simon, I don't want to really make this part into very much of a club thing, but uh, credit where credit is due. I saw you tweeting about this, and it seems that a particular Porto fan deserves uh, much credit. Uh, can you explain? Yeah, so what the situation is, uh, as well, you already pointed out and agreed with Nathan, is uh, Portugal is generally well supported, uh, especially across Europe, um, all, all the immigrants. But unfortunately, they just don't seem to uh, have had a like a, kind of like a leading voice. It was just a lot of disorganization, a lot of fans cheering for goals. But you know, we saw fans like uh, uh, Iceland and stuff like that, and they all kind of were on the same page with their chanting and singing, and it, it really does help the team. So, uh, to my understanding, what the Portuguese federation did was they reached out to Fernando Medreira, who's the leader of the Super Dragoys, they brought over him and 25 other Super Dragoys, and they brought five members of Juve Leo, uh, which is Sporting's uh, main supporter club. Uh, they brought them over to France, and basically they just got them to do their same job that they do for their clubs, but for Portugal, they, they got some chants together, songs together, uh, kind of get in unison, make their voices heard. Uh, and, and it really does help the players, um, especially in difficult moments, moments when, uh, uh, when you need lifting, when you're, when you're on your heels. Uh, it really does help. And I think, uh, it was, it was a good decision by the FPF, uh, because, uh, especially in a country like France where there are so many Portuguese living that uh, the games are almost feeling like home games and even the finals I'm sure the ticket allotment was swayed towards the French obviously because they're the hosts but uh, it really did not feel like that we were playing against a host nation in the finals uh, that often uh, the fans did such a great job of uh, getting their voices and, and it's just an extra extra boost to the players who I felt were already so motivated to win and, and it felt like the players wanted it so badly and the fans wanted it just as much and it all just came together in the end and and uh, it all worked out perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, a port, there's a saying in Portugal which is the, uh, the 12th man, which is of course the fans uh, giving their back into the team and you're absolutely right, it can really lift the team and, uh, and Nathan and I... <coughs> We're really impressed. I'm sure you're back this up, Nathan, with, especially in the Croatia game where, like you said, Simon, in such a tight game like that, it really could have gone either way. Uh, the, the fans were just absolutely magnificent, uh, yeah, really, fr from start to finish. And, uh, you know, this is against Croatia. Croatia, we all know, they've got very fervent, quite nationalistic fans themselves. And so it certainly was no easy task <coughs> out singing them, but, but they did, really, you know, and that... Who knows if that really just might have made a difference in the end. Okay, uh, now let's uh, have a little talk about tactics. Uh, Tiago, another thing that bugged me a little bit about the criticism of Portugal was the idea that, one, they spent the whole tournament defending, and two, that their tactics were very basic and easy to implement. Uh, explain to us why neither of those notions are true. All right, so... Let's just get something out of the way. Football, fan, football fans are mindless football fans. General football fans are people that get bored very easily. People just get annoyed at everything. So every single team that I've seen win anything at all, ever, gets, criti gets criticism. Spain won two Euros and the World Cup in a row, playing beautiful possession offensive football and people criticized them because they were boring so with that out of the way every single team ever is going to get cri criticized with that said we were obviously going to get criticized for something we get criticized for everything so that's not unusual but we I've never seen the team get criticized in so many different ways within one tournament we, we started off the tournament playing against Iceland which was uh, um, a poor match, but then we played against Austria, which which was a match that we should have won by a lot of goals. I think we created so much in that match. So on the first two matches, we didn't take our chances. Pre, pre 
Portugal dominated completely. Against Austria, we have we had all the possession in the world. We created all the chances. We hit the post God knows how many times. But we got criticized because we didn't take our chances. Okay, so a team like Portugal ties against Austria. Dominates the game, doesn't matter. Didn't take their chances. Okay, Ma- the, match, the following match against Hungary, we took our chances. We just defended poorly. And then we tied against Hungary. And then we got criticized, not because we didn't take our chances, but because we defended poorly. All right, we defend poorly against a team like, uh, like Hungary. Terrible. All right. And then we go through to the knockout rounds, and Fernando Sanchez corrects that, and we start defending really well. And we start, like, building from the back and actually, like, taking in pressure and then going out in counterattacks to try and not concede. And then we're deemed as a team that doesn't deserve it. We got criticized for so many things in one tournament. I'm confused. I don't know what people want. I know we won. <laughs> I know that. And even so, even if even if we did spend our entire, even if we even on the case that we spent the entire tournament defending, which isn't true, we did it against what France, Croatia. We defended quite a bit as well. And Poland, we dom- we somewhat dominated the match. Wales, we definitely dominated the match. And the group stage, we did it too. We defended poorly against Hungary. So we're talking about the France match and maybe the Croatia one as well? Whatever. And even so, even if we, even if that was extensive to all the matches, when Atletico does it under Simeone, it's beautiful because they, they, they're, they're so, they, they give everything for the team and they defend so well and they win against teams like Barcelona despite having a lower budget. Oh my gosh, they're so great. When Portugal does it, it's terrible. When Italy defends well and they sit back and then they get they get out encounters like against Belgium in the first match. Oh my gosh, they're just Conte is a mastermind. Like Conte, they 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 don't have the players just like Belgium, but they did. They won. They took back the pressure. When Portugal does it, we get criticized. We get criticized for everything. We can't like, what am I gonna do? Okay, there's nothing to do. Well, <laughs> Thiago, I think you've encapsulated it beautifully. There, <laughs> nothing to add. Uh, I'd also well the only thing I would add perhaps actually is in the Croatia game uh, I could understand why people who weren't Portugal supporters and weren't Croatia supporters didn't enjoy watching that game as a spectacle. Oh yeah, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a beautiful game. Yeah. The Fran- the French one. I mean, uh, at least we yeah. we gave France a couple of chances, but yeah, I guess Croatia was quite a boring match. But yeah. still, like tactically, Adrian was brilliant on that match. Oh well, well I was just going to say yeah, for, for us, for Portuguese fans, and I'm sure for Croatia yeah. fans, it was just. I think it was a really high quality, really tense match. Yeah. I mean, you say that Portugal defended, and they did, but so did Croatia. You know, I just think both yeah, sides, yeah, yeah, both just, sides, just did a really good job at, nullif- I just feel like a at team nullifying that, the other. A team that had like one of the best midfields in the tournament, which was yeah. Croatia. Adrian comes out of nowhere because he didn't play in the years, so like until up to that point, and he it's his best match of the tournament. He blocks Modric the entire match. He has a tireless match. Against, against Modric, which is probably the best, or, or one of the best, if not the best, uh, center mid in the world or something. And it was was great. He came out of nowhere. That was tactically brilliant. We didn't use, up to that point, we hadn't used Adrian yet. We hadn't used the entire sporting midfield up to the knockout rounds, and that's where we started using it, or the, the three from sporting and then another one. And that it worked out really well. Croatia wasn't expecting it. Fonts came into the game that came into the to the Portugal lineup that match as well and they did really really well against Mandzukic so I mean we did well I, I have nothing to complain I'm just here I'm happy I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what's wrong with this way. okay well we just mentioned a few individuals there and now uh, we've of course we've been speaking about uh, throughout this show about how Portugal's triumph was a true team effort but that does not mean that there were not individual standout performances throughout the campaign, and that's what we're going to focus on a little now. Uh, Nathan, you spoke to José Font several times in France, and uh, when he came into the side, uh, as uh, Thiago just said there in the game against Croatia, uh, really from that moment onwards, he was magnificent. He he formed a rock-solid partnership at the heart of the defence with Pep, uh, Pep, of course, getting all the plaudits, rightly so. He was just amazing, but of course, Font, I think, was also superb. Uh, I want you to give a quick assessment of the defence, especially those two, 
uh, as well as Cedric, who uh, you also spoke to once or twice, and uh, goalkeeper Rui Patricio. Um, Mark's out of 10, Nathan. Yeah, I think, you know, looking at the defense as a whole, and I want to talk about defense in terms of not just the back four and Rui Patricio, but just really the, the collective efforts of the squad. And I think I have to include mention of two other players in our midfield that I think really, especially in the knockout rounds, provided defensive cover that was crucial, and that's William ahead of the back four, and then Adrian, who was kind of our, our terrier in central midfield, just harassing uh, the opposition team's skill players like Luka Modric, Paul Pogba, France game. Um, these efforts were crucial in uh, stemming the attacks even before they reached the back four. Looking at our defensive effort, if I'm giving us, uh, you know, Mark's nine, you know, out of 10, I'd, I'd give us a 9 out of 10 for our collective defensive effort. The reason I can't rate us perfect is because of the hungry match. It was such a debacle. Um, but throughout the tournament, Defense was our strong point. We allowed five goals total in seven matches. Uh, it's a terrific uh, result for us. Um, and I think a lot of that also um, falls on Rui Patricio, as we've talked about before. One of the things I'd like to point out about his performances is that normally when we rate goalkeepers, we talk about the spectacular. We talk about how well they covered post-to-post. Um, you know, did they make an acrobatic save or or just make some heroic clearance. And we've seen in, in, with Rui Patricio's tournament, he obviously saved the penalty against Poland. But what I think sets his performances apart is just the consistency that he displayed. I want, I want you to think about for a second how many times in this tournament he came out flapping at a cross or a corner, or he made a botched clearance or a bad decision uh, passing the ball out to the defense. How many times did he do that? I mean, I yeah, can't think yeah. of one. I can't I, think of once, one time. Once yeah, against once, Croatia. Yeah. Once against Croatia right. in the okay. in the extra time and nothing else. And I agree with what with what you're saying. He's a very he's a very mistake prone keeper and he barely did them this tournament and that yeah, saved us. I, I, yeah. And just uh, sorry, uh, Nathan also just to put in there with uh, Tiago and Tiago will notice as well, looking back at his history, his individual playing history, one thing Rui Patricio was criticised for, rightly so, at the start of his career, <coughs> was he was a little bit weak on crosses, you know, coming yep. out to crosses, he, he did have difficulty on when to come out, when not to come out, and, you know, getting his timing right, but, yeah, apart from that one mistake in the Croatia game, which, uh, fortunately, was, uh, you know, <coughs> didn't prove costly, I, I really can't think of one single mistake in all of the seven games. Yeah, and I think for a keeper, you know, when you, when you think about... Um, what you want in a keeper. You, you you want a keeper you know, even if you make a mistake on defense, he's going to bail you out, um, first yeah. of all. Second, you want a keeper who you know isn't going to give up easy chances, isn't going to allow the opposition to score an easy goal after you defended so heroically an entire match. And so I would, I would rate Rui Patricio like a, like a 9.5 out of 10, you know, with, with the exception of that one mistake that we talked about. His, his tournament was just sensational. Best by a Portugal keeper. Um, since at least Ricardo, um, and, and certainly a candidate for best ever. Um, moving on to Pep, I would rate him as an 8 out of 10, and the only reason he's that low is because he people forget he started poorly. He had some of his worst matches ever, I think, in a Portugal shirt in the against Iceland, and then again against uh, Austria. Um, against Hungary, I can't really fault him as an individual because the defensive effort in that match was so poor. But when we reached the knockout stages, I just think his his performance was as close to flawless in the matches that he played as you can ask for in a center back. Um, there's more I could say about Pep, obviously, but I need to cover the others. Uh, Julie Font, um, I, I rate him a 7 out of 10 because he didn't play the whole tournament. He played just the knockout rounds. But when he came in, the thing I admired most, uh, again, was just consistency. You know, we, we forget that when Pep dropped out of the squad and Bruno Alves came in, people were very concerned about that move. Um, and I think the unifier and st- uh, stabilizing factor there was was Font. Um, that the, the ability he had to form a partnership very quickly with, with Alves in the semifinals um, that was crucial. I think it won us the game. Um, and then Cedric, you know, I, I there was a lot of criticism of, of his predecessor Viarinha in the, in the uh, group stages. I didn't think Virginia was as, was as awful as some people did, but when Cedric came in, 
uh, it really showed me just how much of an improvement in quality uh, we could have with him as our right back, with the exception of the mistake that he made against Poland, where he didn't anticipate the bounce of the ball, allowed his uh, the attacking player to get in behind him. You know, I, I think his his uh, performance was one of uh, vigor and aggression. He was able to kind of balance out Rafael Guerrero on the left, who the entire tournament was not just defending, but was getting forward in support of the attack. Uh, and providing that balance, I think, was another crucial element for our back four and just, again, defending against France and then uh, being able to uh, stop counterattacks and then get up the field, too, in support of the attack. So I'll give him a 7 out of 10 as well just because he didn't play the, the entire tournament. Yeah. Can I add something? Yeah, yeah, sure. Let me just add something on Rui Patricio and Cedric. On Rui, like, you mentioned like oh, you want a goalkeeper to bail you out in certain situations. Another like, thing to, to remember is that this is probably the best defense we've worked on with the, in the tournament. Like the the bat line was super solid throughout the tournament, especially in the later stages, and that gives you a lot of confidence as a keeper. So you're like knowing that you more often than not will not be facing a lone like a striker alone in front of you because your defense is working really well and because your Pep is working well. Pep uh, Font is playing well, you know what I mean? That gives you confidence as well. And Hui, I think Hui was sure he was always mistake prone and he's probably going to continue being but he always worked with I'm not going to say poor defenses but defenses that were definitely less solid than this one and that didn't help him at all because that threw him into more situations where he, more often than not would end up making a mistake. And just on Cedric even on the match that he made the mistake against Poland early in the match, he did so well mentally not to go down with that mistake, and he rose to the occasion, and he had a fantastic match from that moment forward. He went forward, he defended, he was always in place, he managed to keep his head sharp, and that's really tough in a, in a quarter-final of a major tournament after making a, a mistake early on. Well, Tiago, you took the words out of my mouth because I was exact- going to say exactly the same point on Cedric. Of course, that was, what, first minute, was it? Or first, after about, I don't know, yeah. 90 second, seconds? Second yeah. yeah, and it was, a, it was a bad mistake. You know, he just completely misjudged the, the bounce of the ball it, it, and that resulted in a goal. And so, like you said, it would have been very easy to, to be dejected there, but he just, like you said, so mentally strong, put it out of his mind. Yeah, he did, away, I didn't. I didn't expect him to react in such a mentally strong way. I didn't have that that connected to him in my mind. Like Cedric, was, I'm not saying he was not a mentally strong player, but I never view, never saw him as such a yeah. such a gutted little man. But he did really well. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, Simon. Uh, now, three more of Portugal's heroes in France were undoubtedly. Uh, Renato Sanchez, uh, Rafael Guerreiro and João Mario who are aged 18, 22 and 23 respectively now uh, Simon I know you spend a lot of time watching Portugal's youth teams uh, now when you think about those three players not to forget Rafa Silva of course uh, then you think about the incredible amount of high quality talent in the 20 to 24 age group uh, coming through for Portugal uh, you have to be extremely optimistic about the future, surely. Uh, give me your assessment of those three players and tell us about your hopes for the Celestial in the coming years. Well, I'll, uh, I guess I'll answer your last question first. I Personally, I don't even think that we've hit our stride yet. If you ask me, this squad has a lot of room for improvement still, especially in the midfield being so young. Besides our centre-backs ageing, which obviously is going to need refreshing heading into the tournament in Russia, um, if you ask me, this is probably not even our best form. Um, <clears throat> Al, you mentioned, uh, well, we we barely got to see Renato in in uh, the Portuguese uh, Portuguese youth ranks. I think he had some U19 games, but he, uh, he rocketed right up to the A squad, so... There's really not even much to talk about him with uh, with him in the youth squad because we all know his uh, meteoric rise and he's already off to Bayern Munich now. So, um, you know, Fernando Santos, I think it was still a gamble to to make him a starting player as an 18 year old. Uh, you never, uh, you know, it, it's easy to get blinded by 
by uh, you know a one or two good performances, but uh, I gotta hand it to him. He 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 did definitely prove me wrong. I I I was proponent for keeping him as just a a super sub off the bench like Kudajma, someone dynamic that you can bring in on the 60, 70 minutes. So I wasn't too pleased when he was made a starter, but I, I have to hand it to him. He he still has to uh, work tactically and. Uh, the, the passing could improve a little bit. I know that's a common criticism of him, but uh, no, uh, the Celestial is a star in him for uh, 15, <laughs> 15 more years to come, probably considering that uh, he's only still 18 now. Um, Jean Mario, I don't think he had his best tournament actually. Um, I would say Adrian probably took over as the best midfielder, just because Jean Mario and uh, Andre Gomes. Um, kind of played out of position a little bit we saw one Portugal went to a three-man midfield after substitutions that uh, they that Joao and uh, Andre Gomes played a lot better but in the four-man midfield they didn't they didn't fit so well um, it's just a lot of a lot of these players come from uh, either Porto Sporting or Benfica where a three-man midfield is common I know Benfica's run four-man midfield for several years now but uh, it is more common in Portugal to play a 4-3-3 so a lot of these players train throughout the years a 4-3-3 which I think caused John Mario not to have his best tournament he, um, Rafael Guerrero well uh, he let's put it simply I don't think Fabio Contral is going to be starting a lot of important games anymore uh, he took that job and ran with it simply put um, his performances were incredible. The match, I think he had to miss one or was it two matches? Uh, I, two, yeah, I knew. two matches. Yeah, it was. Uh, I was definitely concerned looking down the lineup sheet when his name wasn't on it. He adds a ton going forward, and his like he's obviously not a very tall player, but his coverage it was it was absolutely incredible. Just watching him go against. I remember him marking out Pogba out wide and William helping out, and it, it was incredible. Um, he's really um, making leaps and bounds. Uh, Dortmund's already picked him up. They got a steal for only 15 million. He had an incredible tournament. Uh, he could put in quality crosses, and he can. Well, it's not going to happen when Ronaldo's on the pitch, but he can actually hit free kicks very well, uh, which is uh, which is an added bonus because we definitely do need a left-footed free kick taker. He had the crossbar against France. We all thought Kudajan was going to step into it, but Raphael went and went and took it. So these young players, uh, they really are a big key to the future. I think the best thing that the Portuguese Federation has done in recent years is the approval and addition of the B squads in Portugal. I think adding B squads to the second division is going to greatly improve our under our under 21, 20, so on and so forth, those teams, which and then is going to help to jump up to the A squad because we've seen for years how, uh, and Porto especially is a uh, is they buy just marginally better South American players just because they don't want to spend the extra time be developing a Portuguese homegrown, whether it's for just desperation to win in the league or they need that Champions League money and they can't afford to miss out on uh, on a group stage or so on and so forth. So they just buy marginally better South American players and they'll spend the money and instead often a Portuguese player gets left out in the cold but now with the with these B squads the B, the players when they turn 19 or 20 they can spend an extra year or two just in second division stay within the club still and then make up the jump and I think the next one to do that is Andre Silva I think he's going to finally get integrated in uh, in the main Salasal squad hopefully is a good year for Porto as well but back to my original point I don't think we've even hit our stride. I think we can get even better. Besides the center back position, which is giving me a little bit of of concern, just because of their age, not because of their skill. Uh, I think that we have a great looking squad heading into 2018. Um, <clears throat> there's obviously even more players that had to miss out on this tournament. Um, example: uh, Bernardo Silva missed out through injury, which, funny enough, opened the door for Ronaldo to break out. So it, you know, it's it's funny how things work, and it's it's weird how some players get their breaks. But uh, you know, 
uh, come what may. And um, you know, besides besides the center backs, I think I think it's a great looking squad. Yeah. So Just have to refresh those center backs. Yeah, that's right. I agree with that. Of course, it's such an exciting time. We were saying even before this tournament to be a Portugal fan is. Just so many <coughs> high-quality players coming through in quality and quantity. Yeah, and, uh, we want the, you know, we want the under 17, I think. Yeah, just, exactly. Just back in June, and we're in the under 19 literally right now as we speak, and we're playing well there. We lost in the finals of under 21 last summer, so yeah. it's everywhere I look. Portugal is either in the finals, winning it now, or yeah. Uh, so it's been a it's been a great. You know, it's been a great kind of little generation coming up and coming through, and it's uh, it's a great time. Now, let, let me put you on the spot quickly. What do you think happens with Fabio Contra with with the emergence of uh, Rafael Guerrero? Good question. He's so impressive, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, because Rafael's impressed. It was yeah. really impressive. But, you know, we've all seen Contra have great games with the Salasal, yeah. but I think his injury problems... Is gonna is gonna cost him his spot. Yeah, that's gonna be the key, I think, because he's still a great player, and when he is fit, he's still a great player. And like you said, any time he puts on that Portugal shirt, he just always seems to have a. I can't, I can't ever remember him having a bad game really for Portugal. He always plays well. So you know, I think he's 27, is he? 27, 28. So you know, so, yeah. still probably got a, a role to play. But like you said, it's a you know a good problem to have. Uh, just. A lot of quality in there. Okay, uh, now we're going to, uh, staying a little bit uh, on the individual basis, uh, we're going to talk about the forwards, uh, including this man. Portugal, vai Portugal, bola para Renato, ponta para Nani, vai com a Esma, são 4 para 4, vai Portugal, vai Portugal, Renato solta, vai para a área miúdo, dá para Nani, vai fazer a finta, já faz o remate à direita, Renato tira, a bola não entra, é gol, é gol, Tiago, I'd like you to talk about Portugal's front men at Euro 2016. It was Nani and Ronaldo, of course, most of the time. But there you have it again. Yet again, the others came up with absolutely crucial goals at crucial times when they were also, when they were asked to. You know, I'm talking about Ricardo Quaresma and Eder. So, Tiago, we've been fretting about Portugal's lack of number nine for years. What were we, what were we worried about? Well, not everything's solved. I don't want to be uh, someone that ruins this whole positive vibe. But, like, this tournament felt really, I don't know, felt really movie-like, you know? Everything went well. We, I'm not saying we got, like, I mean, we got lucky. Every champion is lucky. But, you know, we, the, a tournament like this, it's a very short tournament, very mentally, mentally complex tournament. And... Ether stepped up when he needed to, Quaresma stepped up when he needed to, but like now in September, in September I believe, yeah, in two months, we're going to be back at the qualification matches, the boring matches in, uh, I actually don't know our group, in Switzerland is our most difficult match, we're going to have matches against, I don't know, teams like Moldavia or something, I'm not sure we have them on our group, I know we have Switzerland, but like... Seems like that, and the environment isn't the same, the support isn't the same, I'm not saying we have poor supporters, but still, the the mental state of the team isn't the same, we need, we still need a striker to rely on day in and day out, 
with that said, I don't think Eder is going to be that person. I think Eder did very well in this tournament to come in and do what he did. Thank you very much. But And I think he's still going to be that player to come in whenever we need a more physical player up front. I think, as Simon said, I believe Andre, Andre Silva is on the come up. And if he does get place in the Porto team this year, he might be included in the Nets roster for the national team and we'll see how he does and slowly we'll progress into a striker but someone that really impressed me at this tournament is Nani and not just because he has been he's been a great player for years a great little winger for years and he was one of the top wingers in the world when he was at Man United obviously all always a bit overshadowed by Ronaldo but still and this tournament we saw him a lot of times alone in the box and winning gathers and doing very well to get away from defenders, and it was in the first post, it was in the second post, and I was super impressed. I really was, because I never saw Nani as a striker. I'm not, I'm not saying he played as a true striker, especially not in the final, but we saw him a lot of times battling in the box against one, two centre-backs against Iceland. He won Nethers against Iceland, cent- Iceland centre-backs. Who would have thought that would happen with Nani? So, I, I, believe, I believe Valencia is losing one of their strikers as well, so... Maybe Nani can play a little bit more of a more of a striker role for Valencia this year, and if he does, then I believe it can turn slowly into a into a more of a more of a center forward. But we'll see. With that said, like I believe Andres Silva is on the come up. Ronaldo is obviously going to play more and more central as as times go by. I'm a bit iffy on the Quaresma situation, just because, as I said, it's a tournament with. The mental state of the players is really, really different. Is the stakes are high, and I believe that Kurevma is a player for when the stakes are high. You know, you see Kurevma doing his best when there's more pressure, when there's more comments, when they're a bit like Ronaldo. When you when you push him a little bit further, he just gives you the game of his life. When he hears criticism, because they're emotional players, they're Portuguese people, and like in matches, qualifying matches where you just need to grind out results against mediocre teams, or even even worse than that. It's it's not the same feeling. So you need more of a reliable striker, and I I'm hoping Nani might be that might be that person. We'll see. We'll see what happens with more wingers playing up front. In this case, like in this four four two with very an interesting dynamic up front. But we'll we'll see what happens. I'm I really like Nani. I really like Nani on this tournament. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned him because uh, you know I think it's been probably uh, Portugal's maybe apart from Eder. Portugal's most criticised player over the last, uh, you know, last few years, I'd well, say. The and thing is that I can't like I I believe it's somewhat deserved. I don't want to go ahead and criticise players out of nowhere, but he was always very inconsistent. He didn't like he didn't produce as much as he did now, and all of a sudden he's a absolute workhorse on this tournament, and he actually poured his heart out his heart out in every match, and that's what you want to see, you know. Yeah, yeah. I also think the switch from winger to sent to striker helps him in the fact that <coughs> you know Nani's got this incredible skill as we know but perhaps not the best decision maker and, yeah. uh, and when he had you know on the wing he tends to have a little bit more time to think what to do and that's and probably make the wrong decision yeah, <laughs> that's probably yeah. not the best thing he, I remember after scoring the goal against Wales in the semi-final in the flash interview afterwards and they asked him you know about the goal and he said well it was just instinctive you know Ronaldo took that shot I just poked yeah. my leg out and it was in and, and he has so, that instinct so yeah. we figured it out I yeah, think maybe right. well please okay well at this point I'd like to point listeners in the direction of the site www.portogol.net that's p-o-r-t-u-g-o-a-l you can relive all the excitement of this tournament from start to finish on the site. There's a whole range of reports, interviews, opinion pieces, and, of course, all embellished with uh, some superb comments, well, hundreds and hundreds of superb comments from our readers right the way through. So if you just head to that site, uh, click on the Selassal section, and then click on the drop-down menu to pull up, I don't know, maybe the last hundred articles and... Uh, you can relive uh, this uh, you know, magical, magical tournament for Portugal all over again. Uh, and talking about that, I'd just like to play this little bit of audio. <laughs>
That, my friends, was the sound of Portugal's players coming through the mix zone after having been crowned champions of Europe. Uh, even if you can't understand what they're singing, uh, I guess you get the idea that they were pretty happy. Okay, fellas, to finish up with, I'd like to ask you all, what was your most memorable moment of Euro 2016? Uh, Nathan? Well, I'd, obviously, uh, it's just such a difficult task picking one moment but I'll, I'll choose one from the time that I was actually in France and that's the Quaresma goal against Croatia um, I think after the match we had with them for him to score that goal in such dramatic fashion you know right before the end of, of extra time was for me a, a pretty uh, incredible moment okay yep. and Simon that's where I was going to go as well. I, I, I'm going to skip over, obviously, picking the Eder winning goal moment because that's automatically, you know, the default is the most memorable moment. So kind of besides the Eder moment, which for all of us is the true memorable number one, uh, I'm going to definitely go with Nathan. I think when Quaresma scored that goal, it really uh, set our tournament alight. And on Twitter after that match I, I started reading everywhere how uh, a lot of disbelievers were starting to believe and talk about uh, our route to the final, how we can get there, what we have to do so I think that goal really catapulted and, and uh, trampolined us all of our hopes and uh, <clears throat> set our tournament alight and I think that was a big moment for, for making our run, uh, our run what it was Yeah, yeah, isn't it amazing isn't it, Karezma, what a career he's had most people would probably say maybe slightly disappointing in terms of the talent and maybe what he could have done but boy did he choose one moment to <laughs> go down yeah. in football history I agree with you absolutely I think for me personally that was the moment when I really started believing Portugal could win this okay Tiago what was your uh, top moment well I'm not going to repeat yours so mm-hmm. I think that in the final when Ronaldo went down, that was my most memorable moment. And I'm not saying that I was happy for that. That's still, for me, seeing Ronaldo go down in the final is the saddest thing I've seen within the four lines of a football pitch. Yeah, and, it, was. it was. And it just broke my little heart. And I swear that what we did, knowing that that moment happened and that we still did what we did, that moment becomes the most memorable moment in the tournament for me. Just yeah, because exactly. of... Yeah, I agree. Sorry, yeah. I cut you off. I, I I have to totally agree with that. That was that was just a uh, an what you did to get to that final. The most the most hardworking, probably the most hardworking athlete in history. Getting to finally getting to a final is ten thousand final almost. But like the first one with his nat or the second one with his national team is chance to win it all, and everything seems to go get go away in like twenty minutes. And it, then yeah. it's that's my that's my most memorable moment. I don't you know think I'll ever it forget was, that. It was heartbreaking to watch, but there was there was almost like a, a movie like. Yeah, it's, it's what I've been saying. But but it was it was the moment not it was when he the moment that he went down for the third time, and he took off his armband, and when he was on the ground in tears, he wrapped at himself around Nanny's arm, and yeah. it was almost like I like I couldn't lip read or see what he was saying because you know he was in tears as well but I, I'm almost picturing in my head how he was telling Nanny just like t- some some movie Hollywood like you know win it yeah. for like, win it for yeah you gave, like, like, gave like, Nanny like, his power on, yeah something like go on without me. <laughs> yeah. yeah go on without me or, or win this for like I, I'm just picturing in my head that it, that he said some inspirational message to Nanny and I you know usually the captain will hand it off but Ronaldo specifically wrapped it around Nanny's arm and it, it was almost you know it was almost movie like it was it was so it was so powerful it was obviously a, a sad moment but it was so powerful and I think yeah. I think no matter what happened on that day or, or whichever 11 we fielded out of our 23 that it just felt like in the media in the build up in the press conferences the players we just really wanted it more than the French and that's yeah. the bottom you line see the images I commented on this right after the final ended if you guys go and see images of France after we win, after the final, after the final whistle goes, you see France's players, you see the faces of the French players, and you go ahead and you compare the f- the faces of the French players to the faces of Portuguese players in 2004 when our game ended, and you see that it's nothing alike. It doesn't mean that France didn't really want it, but like 
we have so much more passion. We really want this. We yeah. really want this. It was our time to make amends for 2004. I believe that we truly wanted this more than the French in, in the end, that uh, yeah. our players would have sacrificed literally anything, literally our best player, Ronaldo, uh, you know, to, to win this tournament, and we did. Well, fantastic, fantastic stuff, uh, lads. That's uh, it's almost spine-chilling listening to those uh, thoughts. You, <coughs> I agree with you. I'd actually go as far as, as to say as this was perhaps one of Ronaldo's greatest ever performances. And let me just explain that because, uh, you know, obviously he was absolutely devastated. I think all Portuguese fans, of course, were when he went off in tears. But <coughs> it didn't take long for him to pull himself together. And uh, as Cedric said after the match in the mix zone, you know, he gave a really inspiring speech at halftime, just saying, you know, come on, boys, we're doing really well. Keep your concentration. We can win this. We can really do this. And, of course, everyone's seen him uh, in the second half and in extra time especially, just so animated, so, uh, you know, giving his all from the sidelines to, uh, you know, to push Portugal over the line. So... Uh, yeah, that was a, a great shout, Tiago. Great shout for the top moment. Well, we could talk all day and all night for several days and several yeah, nights we really could. about this giant t- triumph. But unfortunately, uh, time has beaten us. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this special podcast celebrating Portugal becoming European champions. It's almost one week since it happened, and that still sounds so good. Uh, thank you, Nathan, for your time. I appreciate it, Tom. Wonderful talking about uh, Portugal again, reliving those moments. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Simon. Thank you. <laughs> and thank you, Tiago. Thanks, guys. Okay. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back for the club season in a few weeks' time. Uh, in the meantime, keep in touch with what's happening in Portuguese football at the site, uh, portugal.net. I hope the rest of the summer is as good as it's been so far. Até a próxima! Pessoal, agradecer-vos por tudo aquilo que vocês fizeram por nós, sempre acreditarem em nós, vocês em Portugal, os imigrantes, hoje principalmente a ser de Marcosi, Marcosi. Uh, a energia que nos deram, eu sempre acreditei, uh, este título é, é para vocês também, por isso estamos juntos, estamos todos de parabéns. Obrigado a todos. Obrigado.